Welcome to Group Thinkers. We're thrilled today. We're getting a different perspective today, Ronnie. Uh, we're, we're getting a different perspective. So um, Group Thinkers, just quick stage setter uh, podcast from Arcady Group that is intended for nonprofit marketers. And by intended for, we mean it's just a conversation with. And so on each and every episode, we, we like to have someone who has a unique perspective on things that are happening in the space. And we definitely have that today. Uh, we're getting a different perspective because we're, uh, we're super excited to chat with Fiona James D'Ambrosio from Doctors Without Borders Canada. Fiona, hi, welcome to the show. Hi, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> no, no pressure, no pressure. Officially our first Canadian on the show. So um, not no pressure behind that. Like that's something to celebrate. That's something for us to, we're, that's we're really exciting. Excited. I didn't know that. Yeah, we didn't want to tell you that before. <laughs> we had to save all the all the good stuff for for the conversation. So, um, on on our our show today uh, in this episode, we're we're going to be chatting Gen X. Uh, we are wrapping up our sixth season of the podcast and uh, and our focus this season on Gen X. And so, I'm excited, Fiona, to to learn a little bit about your journey, but then also talk with you about what you see uh, happening in Canada so that we can compare and contrast uh, some of the things both among Gen X, but but also just kind of now that we're, I think I've heard people say post-pandemic, I don't know if we're still mid, I don't know where we are, but like the, over the last, you know, year and a half or two years as we've all uh, pivoted far more than ever and used that word far more than we thought that we would. And so that's the uh, that's the goal for our time together today. Uh, just for anyone who's tuning in, if you have not yet downloaded a copy of the Gen X study and you've listened to one or more of our uh, episodes in the sixth season, um, I question your ability to, to use a browser uh, because we've talked about it so much. So the the domain, the URL is rkdgroup.com slash Gen X. And uh, yeah, Ronnie, anything else I need to hit at the top? I don't think so. I think you've got it covered. Thanks, man. I appreciate your encouragement today. It's, uh, we're recording this on a Monday. You know, we got to build each other up. We were talking about Ted Lasso beforehand. And so, uh, you know, we've got to get some some good uplifting moments out of our time today. Okay, so Fiona, uh, here's where we're gonna start. Um, your current role, you are the senior managing director, uh, uh, senior manager of direct marketing and donor engagement for MSF Canada. Uh, and so you've been there a couple of years, uh, approaching, it seems like approaching three years, but um, I, I would love for you to go back to when you're leaving university, and charting out your path and just kind of tell us your journey uh, to get to MSF. Yeah, it's um, so so as you mentioned, senior manager of mass marketing and donor engagement, it is a mouthful. Um, and, uh, and it is the portfolio that I currently manage, um, but not where I started. Um, it, and it's been quite a journey, actually. I, I started um, 20 years ago, and it was in university that I actually really... Uh, that's where, yeah, my career sort of took took a turn, and and using that word again, pivot. Like there was there was a moment where where that changed for me. I thought I was going to 
like be an art buyer and travel and and that was that was the career path that I was heading down and um and I was working at this part-time job so like I was in university I needed cash like all other university students at the time and so a friend of mine had referred me to a call center and it was the first time that I had worked at a call center. Um, and, you know, she, she kind of described it like it's a call center, but it's, but it's for good. And I kind of didn't really, you know, I didn't really know what that meant. Um, and it turned out that the, the good part was that it was a telemarketing company um, that's, that exclusively worked with not-for-profits. And so I was hired to make calls. Um, and the first portfolio that I actually worked on, the first charity that I worked for or represented, um, was World Vision. And that was like my real first foray into the charitable sector. And and it's where I cut my teeth in fundraising. Like it's where I got comfortable asking for money. It's where I got comfortable with rejection. Um, you know, when there when you're a fundraiser, there's a really great line that that if you're being trained by by a really good trainer, they'll tell you, you never let a yes get to your head um, or a no get to your heart. And it's so true because at the end of the day, you're like, you're, you're representing these amazing causes. Um, and that was where I think the love for not-for-profit came. Um, and what solidified it for me was travel. Um, I had the opportunity and was really fortunate to do quite a bit of traveling in my twenties and, um, just the exposure, I think, to, you know, different cultures and, and, communities that are are made vulnerable really by circumstance and not because, you know, there is, you know, um, lack of agency or, you know, resilience. It's it's really just, um, yeah, think, think external factors and, and oftentimes like a confluence of factors that lead people into the circumstances that they're in. And and that was when I came back after after a little bit of travel, um, you know, spoke to my parents about it. And I'm a first generation immigrant. Um, I wasn't born in Canada. I was actually born in, in Guyana. And, you know, my parents often remind me that when we landed and, and moved to, to Montreal, um, organizations like the Salvation Army were so crucial to helping our family um, settle and, and you know, um, one of one of my earliest memories and my, and my mother still reminds me to this day is I used to complain about having like mismatched snowsuits, you know, um, because like she would get pieces from like the church and then she would get pieces from Salvation Army and um, and, and I used to hate it. But looking back now, like those organizations were so critical um, and 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 the service that they provided was so important um, to my family that I think coming back having that conversation with my parents and and feeling just a lot of gratitude and, and really grateful um, it was an easy decision for me to say you know what like I this is the sector for me and, and it's where I want to lay roots and and I want to try to where I can um, yeah help organizations you know, generate revenue so that they're able to deliver on their social mission. Um, and so from telemarketing, I, I had some time in face-to-face -face as well, um, and then did the crossover from from agency over to, to charity and, and have worked with um, or aligned myself with organizations where there's just like a values alignment. And, and naturally, that, that tends to be organizations where there's some type of um, humanitarian um, thread. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's how 
it, it's been a long journey, but but a really uh, a really rewarding one. I mean, in, incredibly rewarding, and you're very passionate about it, and we love that. Uh, Ronnie, I hope you wrote down the lesson <laughs> that you learned from her uh, from her fundraising mentors early on that you never let a yes go to your head or a no go to your heart. That's going to come back around, if not in this conversation, probably later today in multiple meetings. Um, but but I, I just an observation as you talk about your journey, um, you you cut your teeth in some of the more challenging areas of of fundraising, right? Between telemarketing, yeah. which you know, even if you're telemarketing for good. The, there is this gap, this void when someone answers the phone, right? Before, like after they say hello, there's this little void that you have to be able to learn how to, to, to break through. And then likewise, face-to-face, -face, when you're approaching someone, you know, in, uh, on a public square, et cetera, to, yeah. to have those conversations. Those are some really challenging areas, some very important areas. And uh, I would... I would guess that the number of lessons that you still carry today from those first two gigs are uh, are extensive. Oh, absolutely. You know, like I, I think there's so many of them and like one of them is just like authenticity, right? Like at the end of the day, if you are just bringing your genuine self to the conversation and you're, you're able to find something about the organization um, and it's not hard I mean you know like this is the thing like when we're talking about worthy causes it's it's not hard to find something that you can feel really passionate about with with most causes and so for me um, you know getting to to choose some of the some of the charities that I, I got to represent um, that was important and and um, and it's not hard to then have that conversation and say like the reason I'm calling today is because and then to go on and share that case for support. I think it's it's something that comes really naturally when you are genuinely interested um, in what the organization is doing um, and where that money is going to go and be able to explain that in a way um, that, you know, is really simple for the donor too. Like, I, I think like that was the other thing is the genuine piece, the, the, the passion and alignment and, and really trying to find that thing that that you love about the charity because it's going to resonate with you. And then in turn, the way that you share that, um, your passion will will obviously come across. Um, and then the other one is like just the resilience of like the repetitive nature of those of those tasks. Like you are, I think it's like, I think they say like it's nine no's before you get that one yes. And just kind of accepting um, you know, that, 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 that is the parameters under which you're going to be working. It gives you, it helps to build that resilience. And, um, and so there's very few arguments that I lose with my husband, to be honest, because I'm just so, like the one word, the one word he, he'll always use to describe me is relentless. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and I, and it's true. I think, I think it's really, it's, yeah. So, so to, to your point, like there was just a lot of, um, lessons and a lot of skills, a lot of the softer skills that you don't get to exercise in, in your day to day that um, you walk away from, you know, roles like that. And, and you all of a sudden have like this like tool belt of skills that you're going to be able to use in 
years to come. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I have to tell you, you're you're among friends, both uh, with Ronnie and I, but then also uh, I think I think every guest we've ever had on the show, whenever we, we talk to them about their their journey and it's it's always a great place for us to start. Um, it's very rare that we chat with someone that says, you know, I set out to work in the nonprofit space. Typically, it's a series of events that someone is either called to it or drawn to it, just depending on how you want to phrase it, that that there are these kind of magnetic forces for us that pull us into the space. And certainly, as you reflected on parts of your adolescence and upbringing, and then, you know, the happenstance of someone referring you to work at the call center, right? That all of that kind of packages in together to uh, you um, uncovering this this heart for um, doing good and helping the, you know, those that are in need and, you know, from both your your time at Plan uh, as well as at World Animal Protection and and now at MSF, that is something that you have clearly done and continue to do. Um, and I think that you know the other thing that that I'm uh, I'm drawn to whenever you're sharing your story is that uh, there's a lot of your perspective that aligns well with um, some findings in our Gen X study. How's that for a segue? So, uh, so okay. So we shared with you this study, um, and uh, you know, this study we we put this research uh, project into the marketplace, and uh, had a panel of U.S.-based donors uh, in late February, early, early, early March, 2020, pre-pandemic, um, provide us these insights, and we've been able to package it and use it to. You know, just have discussions with people, and I think something that has has been clear to us is that uh, many people feel the need to acquire younger donors, and many people don't know how to. Uh, but I also think that there's this kind of there are these kind of interesting galvanizing principles of you know uh, what people are taking away from the study and how it's helping either um, inform or fuel strategies that they've already known or already put into place. And so uh, I'm just curious, as you've looked at the Gen X study, what, uh, what are some similarities that you see between what we found in the US marketplace and what you see in Canada? And then also, what are some of the differences? Yeah, so, you know, that's a great question. And I think maybe I think one of the things um, around being able to, you know, take a look at your own database and, and, you know, measure against these surveys, which are always really interesting to me, is they can be really intimidating. Um, and I'll start there because I think that one of, at least in the last two years, um, you know, one of the challenges has been to to find and, and carve out that space to actually survey our own our own database. And so, um, I'm I'm sure that you know MSF is is not alone in this, but but wanting to 
get a pulse on how things are going with our donors. And so we were fortunate enough um, that in 2019, we did our own affinity survey. Um, and that survey went out to about 6,000 um, monthly and, and, and one-time donors. And so it's been it's been a bit of time since um, since those findings. Um, so so that's the survey, or at least the last real moment that we had an opportunity to to kind of hear from our, our donors um, on on a bigger scale um, how they're feeling about everything from you know our fundraising activities to our to our communications. And so I mention it because it's the survey and, and it's the it's those findings coming out of that 2019 um, affinity survey that I'll I'll sort of use to to measure against what we're seeing at MSF. Um, but but also to say that you know we recognize that it has been a moment and and in that time there's been a pandemic and and so going into next year one of the plans um, as part of our annual planning is to uh, is to go back out with another survey next year and and I think you know t doing that every few years is is really really important um, so for organizations who who haven't yet done it don't be intimidated by it but but it is a good moment I think to check in and and just like I said here whether you know your fundraising activities are resonating um, the modes of communication so one of the things um, that came out of your survey was around forms of giving um, you know so the the various vehicles um, that people are, are currently donating to and I think that that is one of the bigger similarities that I found with our donor base. So so the biggest sort of distinct difference in the MSF survey um, was between sort of the under 55s and then over 55s. And so it makes it a little bit challenging because, um, you know, that would be your older boomer and then getting into, sorry, that would be your, your boomers and, and your older Gen Xers. So for me, I, I'm not able to fully break out the younger Gen Xers and the older Gen Xers um, the way that your survey did, which I found really, really interesting. Um, and, and I'm sure that'll come up a little bit more um, as we talk about some of the some of the differences. But what I did find was around the more mature donors, we tend to see our older Gen Xers as well as our boomers giving to vehicles like DAFs, family foundations, et cetera. Um, our younger supporters, and I don't know if this is mainly driven by financial planning, which, you know, as you get a little bit older, you start to think a little bit more about um, traditional forms of investment. And that and that's where, you know, family foundations and, and DAFs generally come up. Um, legacy giving, planned giving, gifts of stocks and securities, that tends to attract, um, at least from what we've seen as well in our survey, um, a more mature donor and, and a donor who is, um, you know, it's kind of like the empty nesters. And, and so our younger donors are generally attracted to events and um, whether that's third party events or, um, you know, your, your survey referenced GoFundMe's. That isn't something that we're, we're doing right now at MSF um, or any any crowdfunding. But I, I, I do, we are seeing that our, our younger donors, whether it's events or other types of um, collective crowdfunding type of fundraising, um, that, that's what that's what they're doing as well. I think it. I think it's interesting that uh, you, you know you find the same thing, and you make a great point. There is there is some correlation between age 
versus just like this general like you have your generational experiences in the time you grew up in but then there's also just this kind of thing like when millennials become over 55 we'll probably see a lot of the same patterns of you know donor advised funds assuming they're still around and whatnot but you know there, there's a there's an age aspect to these things um so uh, you know you talked about the younger gen x and older gen x and kind of that divide there um you know our study shows that these younger gen xers and millennials they grew up in this time of the internet and they have this this kind of opening to the world that older donors didn't have and so you see this in some of the things in the study where you know they're they're connected to more global causes and they're connected to these social movements in connection with probably the rise of social media as an organization you know how does how does doctors without borders how do you tap into this this idea like hey we're a global organization and you know we how do you tap into that and and attract these younger donors yeah, it's a challenge. It's it's definitely a challenge. And and you know, one of the things that I was gonna I was gonna mention around age is like this idea that because I I think for me the, the findings is one thing, but it's always like what's driving, right? Like what's driving the behavior, what's driving the psychology behind uh, you know behind it. And I think one of the things around age is the the millennials and, and younger Gen Xers, to your point, are, are growing up in a time where even around like when you think about financial planning and, you know, they're growing up where there's platforms like Wealthsimple and Questrade where it's almost like direct to consumer and, and they have been socialized to kind of bypass a lot of these like third party, like middle middle sort of third party, um, you know, I, I organizations or, or companies that, that help in that way. And, and they want to see the impact of that happen right away. And I think that that is also shaping the kinds of organizations um, that they are typically drawn to. So, you know, one of the things that um, that our, our own survey showed is there was a difference between the kinds of organizations or the motivations um, behind giving. So, for example, our older donors, um, you know, they tend to give out of this sense of duty. Um, and it's something that I've talked a little bit about before, where where our younger donors are, are looking for, um, you know, social impact causes, you know, they care about, they care about um, migration and refugee and uh, refugee causes and, and displacement. And so for me, I think, I think that, um, I don't know whether that's just the just the age of internet or if it's also just the age that we're the time that we're living in right now um, with Twitter and you know with Snapchat and everything else like all of these other social media platforms access to to what's happening in the world is is just it's happening in such real time in a way that it didn't happen before and the exposure that that audience is having on um, incredibly important social issues is is like right at their fingertips at all moments so so i think that that is is where there's there's a real big difference and and gap in terms of the kinds of charities also that the younger donors are are really passionate about you know they t it, it tends to be these like really big movement causes and whether that's climate um, or um, you know whether that is right now you know a big push towards um, you know 
dismantling, um, you know, racism and, and really trying to, you know, push um, organizations to think differently also about their own responsibilities around that. I think like that, that's, that, that is, I think, what is um, really motivating and, and fueling a lot of the decisions they make around the charities that they want to give to. There's uh, there's this thing that that comes to mind, Fiona, as you're sharing that, you know, um, one of our research partners, uh, they had put out a study in 2018 where they talked about that um, essentially generations, they swing like pendulums, right? And so the way that I've described this previously is that, you know, if you go back to the old sitcom family ties, you have the hippie parents and then the kind of Reagan conservative kid. So it's this interesting paradox between Alex P. Keaton, played by Michael J. Fox, and his parents, right? They just, they, they complement each other, but then they also, uh, they see the world differently. And so uh, the study actually went on to prove that this is the case in, in multiple ways. And that, you know, if you go back from um, pre-boomer to the silent generation, and so the silent generation has a certain set of ideas and beliefs. And so some, um, some more appreciation for structure and, uh, and independence uh, and in those things. And then you swing into Boomer and, you know, the really, you know, the, I think many times we forget that the, the Boomers were on the forefront of so much change, right, of social change and of civic change and throughout the 60s and early 70s the you know the the boomer audience really ignited new ways of thinking and so that swung the other way and then you swing back to maybe some structure and independence uh amongst gen x and and you know that's validated in, even whenever we see in our study the fierce independence that comes out of some of the older Gen X, and then you go from there back into millennials. This kind of pursuit of change. Um, I was doing some reading over the over the weekend about uh, about you know charities accepting cryptocurrency and you know being on the forefront of new, as you said, new giving technologies while not ignoring the old. Right, you can't ignore the the old, but you still want to be on the forefront of ways to connect with people so that you can show them not only are you a part of a movement to solve really complex problems and actually solve them, but also that you're doing it in a way that's relevant for what's going on around them. Yeah, your, your you know, your survey covered, um, you know, gifts by method, um, you know, so, so how are people giving to, to charities, whether that's through direct mail, appeals, telemarketing, online, social media, um, events, for example. And, and I think one of the things that the report was showing was that younger Gen Xers tend to index higher on, on things like email and social media. Um, interestingly, interestingly enough, they also tend to, um, you know, uh, respond um, differently to phone than what I'm seeing actually with with our with our study. Um, younger Gen Xers in in your report less likely um, to respond to to telemarketing. Where one of the things that came out, or at least that we're seeing at MSF, is um, our younger donors because they're they're really hungry for information, but they want these like bite sized, almost like give me the sound bite. Um, you know. They, they've actually been responding better to phone specifically around things like SMS um, than our 
older, let's say, Gen Xers, um, which is which is an interesting piece for me. And I don't know if that's because, again, with the sort of the the not even rise at this point of mobile, but just, you know, charity seeing um, that being mobile responsive is is first of all, it's it's critical at this point. But because we're really moving away from desktop and over to mobile, um, we're finding that there's a bit of a like this like resurgence of of donors who are younger and actually interested in hearing you know from us on on sms and they prefer to give get a quick upgrade sms to just you know say like hey you know here's you know a way that you can engage by increasing your monthly donation and help x y and z um and they're used to this kind of like one click action um that we are finding is is making a bit of a comeback on on phones i i received two text messages last week uh from heifer international and they were announcing to me the um their holiday catalog as opposed to mailing it to me they were texting me about it and it had all the cute emojis in it right that you know would grab my attention whenever i'm looking at even the preview of the text uh, and then obviously had links to go through and I, I screenshotted that multiple times and then shared it out because to your point, like it's, it's about relevancy and, uh, and knowing that I think now, especially now, you know, as we're 18 months into the pandemic, we're all far more digitally connected than we were 18 months ago. You know, we're all far more able to do things and it's only accelerated those were, that were somewhat digitally connected uh, beforehand. And so, yes, things like SMS have a, a resurging relevancy for, for younger donors. As, as you think about or reflect on the last uh, 19 or 20 months, uh, what are some of the, you know, the pivots that MSF put in place as a result of COVID and, and how, ha how has that changed the way that you communicate with donors or prospective donors? Um, and, and, you know, kind of what are you leaning into right now uh, post pandemic? Yeah, I mean, you know, like many organizations, I think it was a real moment for MSF. Um, you know, I've talked about um, the various investment channels and, and fundraising channels that, that we use to reach Canadians and 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 try to um, you know expand our our acquisition and, and 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 introduce MSF to to more to more donors. The majority of that has been in face to face, and so you know March. I, I won't forget the day, but like March sixteenth, twenty twenty, we pulled all of our all of our face to face activities um, were were pulled on that day across the country and that was a significant moment because it was you know it wasn't necessarily all of our eggs in in sort of the face to face basket luckily for us we had a relatively diverse mix of of channels um, and and ways of reaching our donors but it really accelerated our plans in digital. Um, so we were in the second year of a strategic plan with plans to accelerate on digital, but not for another year or two. And all of a sudden we were in this moment where we had to do that. And so it was less of a strategic pivot, to be honest. And it was like a very like, um, 
it was a very reactive thing. And we refocused and, and, and recentered everything around digital. Um, and I think it was less about trying to figure out how we were going to reach these young audiences, which all of a sudden was like out the window. It was now just a matter of like, how are we just going to reach anyone? And, and what's the messaging we're going out with? And, you know, how are we going to put the, the right messaging in front of the right audiences? Um, those conversations were the ones that were happening and not so much the really strategic ones where I think now that we feel like we've been able to exhale a little um, and, you know, whether we want to say like we're in this period of things kind of resuming and going back to like this period of like normalcy, we're able at least at this moment to have some more strategic conversations about what are we going to do about this growing database of older donors um, that at some point are going to be transferring there's going to be you know we, we talk about the the transfer of wealth that that's going to be happening how are we actually reaching those those younger audiences because i think the last two years has been such a blur and and really the focus was less on thinking strategically by audience and it was more just thinking what do we need to do to ensure that we have a robust digital portfolio that we have a you know we're driving all of these people to our website is the website optimized um and and when we're looking at that conversion funnel like you know are we are we doing all of the things you're supposed to do and the answer was was no um and i'm sharing that because it's it's a big piece of one of the areas we're going to focus on next year is is a website redesign um you know we know that we're losing a certain amount of donors we're, we're driving a lot more people to to the website than we ever have um and it's not where it needs to be at the moment. And so that's a project that we're gonna be focusing on. We're also building out a the capacity internally to support. So it's one thing to say, okay, we've got to focus on digital, but how are we actually going to do that? And and what are the the roles and, and the portfolios that are going to be important to focus on? And then recruiting for those, I think is gonna be is gonna be really important. So when I think about um, you know, the the digital focus for us it's recruitment it's building the capacity to support a lot of the initiatives that we want to do um, it's bringing those skill sets um, in-house it's you know um, aligning ourselves with agency partners um, that can help sort of that can help get us there that have the vision alignment that we have um, because it's it's you know, I would be lying if I say, you know, I know I've got my finger on the pulse of what's happening in digital. It's just it, that's just not the case. I you know, when we're when we're looking at mass marketing, there's a number of different channels. And that's where I think having, you know, external partners um, that can really help support that work in a meaningful way is is really important. So so we have just you know, we've just done that um, as well and uh, and are going to be working with with RKD in, in the new year. Um, and that's not intended to be a plug, but but it's it's really just, I, I think, looking in inward, but also externally, where can we get the supports um, and and identify the different skill sets that are currently gaps on our team? Um, so that we can be a lot more mindful and, and intentional about the way that we are building our digital plan for next year there's so much of what you just shared that i think i i put under reimagination and and that's as you said 
you know, we're we're going on two years of what's essentially disaster response fundraising. Yeah. Everything that we've done for the last two years has been in the, you know, in that mode of there's something that's really important, really big, really all encompassing that's happening and we're all affected by it. So you're trying to constantly react and it's really hard to get ahead when you're in constant reaction mode. And so I, I totally agree with you, Fiona, is that now it feels like there's a little calming, a little calming of the waters and that we can take a step back and reimagine, okay, now to what do we need to do? And and knowing that digital has accelerated at the pace that it has now for two years, you, you got to lean further in there. Like that's got to be a focus for, for every organization of how do we, you know, rethink the way that we communicate through our website? How do we make sure that organic social is, uh, is performing the way, the way that it should? How do we make sure that we're getting, you know, the right resource from the field to, to be able to communicate the stories? And then how do we make sure that the messages that we're, we're communicating are appropriate by audience so it's no longer message by channel but it's message by audience to each of the various audiences through digital so i think you know um all of those things are um are uh the things that i would challenge every one of our nonprofit marketing listeners to to pay attention to and to clue in on is you know where you can right now and i know that it's it's year end and it's super busy and uh but take a take a half step back and try to clear some headspace towards being more digital first. And so recognizing that that's a journey for everybody, but it's a really important journey that you got to put one foot out in front of the other and go down. Yeah. And I think, I think the other thing I would add is, you know, this, this idea of, of digital first, like for me, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's the integration piece. And I think that that's the piece. It's like, it doesn't matter whether you are investing in face-to-face -face or telemarketing or direct mail um, or DRTV, for example, third-party events, whatever it is, um, it's, it's, digital and everything actually, right? Um, and so it, it's helping to lift all of those other channels and there is absolute digital integration in in I in all of those pieces, whether it's in digital, you know, um for example, saying, you know, uh we've sent you, you know, we sent you a text. Did you get it? Just or, you know, um, it's the email primers that go out before a direct mail campaign. Um, it is the integration between a DRTV campaign and your website um, and digital there. Um, it's donor journey. You know, it, it's touching on, it, it's, it's so integrated and embedded in, in helping to boost and optimize all of those other channels um, that I would I would I almost look at it as digital and everything um, rather than necessarily digital first because I think there's a, there's a place for those other channels that um, that are reaching audiences that may not necessarily um, be as responsive in digital um, so they may see the information on digital but then convert in a different channel um, but it has its place in helping I think to to lift response in those channels. You know, you kind of mentioned uh, keeping your finger on the pulse of what's happening with digital and with marketing in general. And it, it 
it kind of strikes me as uh, sometimes in digital, as you're putting your finger on the pulse, the vein maybe keeps moving on you a little bit. <laughs> it keeps keeps changing, and it's so difficult. Uh, and I think that speaks to the challenge of what you're dealing with right now. And and like to sum it up succinctly, it's just that marketing in general is getting harder and it's getting more difficult. I mean, is that, do you feel the same? Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, I, one of the, one of the challenges is the cost to acquire on digital. Um, It's, it's a challenging one, you know, so, so it's, there are a number of things, as we all know, that we're, we're, we're bracing ourselves for um, iOS changes that are coming, um, you know, a cookie-less world, that being the case because more people are, are um, you know, using mobile. There's all of these different things that, for me, I, I really lean heavily on our external partners um, to help us navigate that, you know, and, and I think that if you are a smaller to mid-sized organization, um, you know, finding the right partner to to help you navigate some of those big changes that are going to make it even more difficult to optimize in digital um, is going to be really important. And that's where we are right now. Um, one of the things I would say about that is it, it becomes more difficult to then plan for your investments when you know in digital there's such huge potential, but unlike some of the other channels, there's no guarantee that when you make a certain investment in digital that you're going to see that return on investment. We know that a digital donor tends to have a higher average gift and then in terms of lifetime value, they have a more significant lifetime value than than the other channels. So it's absolutely worth the investment in digital um, but it's a hard it, it's a, it's a hard space to navigate without having that expertise and and so that's where you know working with some of the the external partners that we work with and and preparing us and, and helping us navigate some of those changes um, because it's going to be more more difficult um, to acquire the same number of donors next year. Yeah, uh, it's it's getting harder, uh, and in some cases, it's getting more expensive, and uh, and so. But you know, I'm I'm encouraged, and and like you said, I think that uh, when you can align on vision and you can properly, you know, put the limbs on the side of the organization, uh, that you know we can all grow together. And so, you know, that's, I, th- I think that's a good spot to be. Um, Fiona, as, as we, you know, kind of land the, uh, land the conversation today, I just got to say thank you. Um, uh, you know, honestly, your, your insights and your vision for what you're doing at MSF are refreshing. I think that they're things that many of our listeners need to hear. Um, a couple of things that I jotted down just as uh, as kind of, you know, three things that stood out to me. Uh, I'm going to say it again because I, I was really struck by it, uh, you know, not to let uh, every yes go to your head or any yes go to your head or any no go to your heart. That's probably a good lesson for all of us, like to just have on a post-it note put up on our screens or written on a mirror or something like that. Um, something that, that uh, Fiona shared that uh, I think is incredibly important is to be mindful about the way that we talk to our donors, but maybe even more mindful about listening to our donors. So the survey that you mentioned, Fiona, that uh, that MSF has 
put into the market and that you plan to continue to put into the market. Um, the, the power of listening to our donors can help in so many ways and uh, and being able to lever leverage that information. And then the last is digital and everything. Uh, and that it's no longer this bifurcated, uh, you know, world of offline and online. Like it's it's all one big, you know, Jarvis that we're that we're wrestling with here. And so, um, you know, I, I think we just we appreciate the way that you're thinking about it and the way that you're helping lead the mass market team at MSF and the things that you're uh, on the verge of breaking through in terms of your strategies. And so thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with us. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Ronnie, uh, this wraps up season six, man. Um, thanks for, for being along the ride as well. And like I mentioned, uh, folks can download the study. The study's gonna live on at, at rkdgroup.com slash GenX. You can find stuff about it all in RKD Group social channels. And I, I don't know what else to say except for, I, I really, I think we need some appropriate Gen X music. Hopefully uh, we can have some <laughs> good Gen X music to fade out. So don't you forget about me. We need, I've got my flannel on. So this is kind of like my ode to breakfast club. You know, get the little like fist walking away thing. Should have worn neon today. I didn't know. There's still time. If you want to run, grab something, we can. <laughs> we can add that in digitally, right? Yeah, post, post, yeah, digital and everything. So we just, yeah. we'll just, just put some just neon overlay. It. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks everybody. We'll uh, we'll see y'all down the road. Group Thinkers is a production of RKD Group. For more information, visit rkdgroup.com/podcast. Special thanks to our production team, including the talented Ryan Mellinger for his work on mixing every episode. Also a shout out to the content team that helps pull together research and guests, but it's the marketing efforts behind the group thinkers, Suzanne, Ronnie, and others for their work on this and every episode of group thinkers. 